Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on our conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. We have a returning guest joining us this morning, but it has been a while, so it'll be nice to catch up. Brant Reif teaches AP Environmental Science and Biology at Valley High School here in West Des Moines and is the daughter of an environmental science teacher from the 70s. I enjoy Brant's enthusiasm for the environment as well as his students' embracing of science and what it can teach us. So thanks for coming on this morning, Brant. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. So um, since it's been a while, let's have you give a little bit of your bio to this point and where this um, enthusiasm for science and the environment began for you. Yeah, so um, I I think as with most people, we're heavily influenced by our parents. My dad uh, was a geologist. Um, the, The irony, he was actually a petroleum geologist, but his affinity for geology was just like, picking up rocks um, on gravel roads and learning about them and then making my granddad take him to other places. And so when he got to college, um, the geol- at that time period, the geology majors were just pushed into petroleum geology because it's where they could earn a living. Um, and so our family vacations involved going out west, uh, going to mines, um, my dad had a, a mineral collection in our house that I just assumed every kid had a rock room in their house because you just you're self-centered and you assume that everybody's like you. And um, so so I can trace, you know, so much of, I, I think, a, an awareness about the environment to some of those trips. Um, but but I went really the biology route as a kid. I just loved being outside and mm-hmm. um animals. And so when I was thinking about what to study, I just was like, well, I'll be, I'll major in biology because I like it. I don't know what I want to do. And then that path kind of led me more towards ecology and, and I did ecology research, but that taught me a lot about the scientific process, but also I realized that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of of my career. And so I thought maybe I, I teach um, biology and student taught and just got hooked. I just love, uh, trying to get students excited about those types of things. And so I took the job uh, at Valley and this is, I think my 18th year hmm. here. So um, yeah, it's weird to be more closer to retirement than when you started. It just kind of <laughs> yeah. hits you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But taught biology for several years and plant science and then um, had some students years ago that approached me about offering a, like a higher level, like kind of research class. And um, it took me a couple of years to, to get the school board to approve the AP environmental science curriculum. And, and I think at the time period, there were only three schools in the state of Iowa that were offering it. So we were the fourth. And now I think there's a lot more, um, yeah. but uh, I think I'm a decade in of teaching the AP environmental science curriculum, but definitely have been teaching environmental themes 
for all 18 years. Yeah. So how has it evolved over the years? That yeah, subject. So, you know, when I, so when I started teaching it, it was more teaching it within the scope of biology and uh, e- ecology. And um, I taught a plant science class and had a whole unit on the carbon cycle during in, in that class to just try and help students recognize why plants are important, but um, would, would use clips from an inconvenient truth to try and help them understand a little bit about you know, the term global warming and where climate change is used. And, and I, I definitely had some pretty strong kickback when I started teaching. I remember one kid specifically after a lesson on, um, in plant science on climate change, uh, approaching me at the end of the class and saying, you know, I've got some, I've got some literature I think you should read up on, you know, that I think might give you a little bit more information. And so I, I feel like it's probably the topic that I've had to spend the most amount of time reading up on outside of class, not just on the recent peer reviewed stuff, but also as a teacher, you really have to know where your kids are coming from so that Mm -hmm. you can almost preempt some of those like counter arguments. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I feel like early in my career, I had to address the argument that, well, climate change isn't real, global warming is not real. And and that was kind of where the argument was. And then the evidence became so um, irrefutable that then I had students that would argue, well, it's just natural. And so I, I went through that period where kids would say it's not happening and parents would say it's not happening to then, well, it's happening, but it's natural. And now the argument is more, well, it's good because more CO2 in the atmosphere means plant productivity will, will go up and more places on the planet will become habitable. And, and I just have to point out, well, it kind of depends, you know, on your perspective. Um, I think I used just the example that, you know, if you have mineral rights in Greenland, it might be good for you because there's parts that are going to be exposed that you can now farm and you can mine. But if you live on a coastal area, it's, it's not good. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I also try and point out that, yeah, plant productivity can go up, but um, it's it's mostly carbs. It's not you know protein production and plants going up. So, so it, it, I just think that's dynamic. That in 18 years, the way that I'm teaching it has gone from it's not happening to it's happening, but it's natural to okay, it's not natural, but it's actually good. And 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 that seems to be the the counter argument. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's a, a challenge. Um, so given the last few years with COVID, what are some things you've had to do to adapt just to that environment within the teaching science realm? Have there been any things in particular that have come up with just, I, I can't imagine what it's been like to be a teacher in the last two years. Yeah, I, th- I can just speak from our school district because I know every district just kind of did their own thing. So um the first year when we, nobody was in school, um, my family just, we were kind of living off the grid. We went down to Southeastern New Mexico and we're just on BLM land. Uh, Cause we had been informed that we weren't able to go back into the school and we weren't going to be teaching. And I got to a, to a plateau and had cell phone reception and found out that because the AP environmental sciences for DMAC credit DMAC was requiring us to start teaching again. 
So we got in the packed up, got in the car and drove back to to Des Moines. And so that first year was super tricky because I'm having to convince my students that the stuff I'm teaching you, you have to keep learning, but all of their non-DMAC classes were completely optional. Mm -hmm. And and then on top of that, you're trying to teach when you know that their lives are just completely flipped upside down. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is might not be the most important thing. And I have no clue where their mental health was at the time. And I'm, mm -hmm. you know, teaching through a camera to them and they're in their homes. And so that was dynamic. But then this, uh, the first full year, our school went blended. So I had about 25% of my students who were online that I had to teach at the same time that the other 75% were in the room in front of me hmm. and trying to just get creative so that I'm trying to engage everybody, but realizing that, that their needs are completely different. Um, and probably one of the, the coolest things that came out of that was recognizing that we could do these seminar discussions about um, pretty big issues by doing breakout rooms and Google Meet, And then hmm. the really powerful thing was, well, I can't be in every room. So by me removing myself from the conversation or removing myself from even being an option in the conversation, it forced the students to, to really discuss and debate these issues that I've had my students debating for a long time, but you, know, you can kind of hide in a larger setting. But when it's just four of you, um, and there's a lull in the conversation, usually somebody would just step up and, and turn to the student who hadn't said anything and just say, you know, is there anything you would like to add about the difference between a carbon tax and cap and trade? Because one of the questions, one of the um, discussions is um, about carbon policy. What, what mm -hmm. should the U.S. policy mm -hmm. be? And, and as a teacher, I'm sitting back watching my students have conversations about stuff that they're going to be voting on for the rest of their lives. And you know, there was a lot of scaffolding that I would put in place to try and make sure that they were prepared and could talk. And they were graded on their conversations and I would record it and I could step back and do that afterwards. Um, but, it, but it's weird. And, and, and I told the students that I realize you might not realize how exciting this is, but for a teacher to have your students talking about carbon policy or, oh, the really powerful one last year was we were going to be talking about the electrical grid. And so I'd given them the prompt right like a couple days before the, the freezing temperatures in Texas hit and wiped mm. out their energy grid. And so the students are seeing why this conversation is, is powerful and why it's relevant. Mm -hmm. And so then I was able to just fold that and kind of add that into their conversation and have them break down the type of renewable energy that should be used in different regions of the country based hmm. on, you know, what part of the grid that they're connected to. So that was um, such a massive uh, innovative way to, to deal with seminar discussions. And so I'm continuing it this year, even though everybody's in person and I'm able to sign up uh, for different rooms around the building and the students go there and one of the kids turns on their camera and turns on the Google meet. And um, so that, that, that was definitely a highlight of uh, something I've been doing for the whole time I've been teaching the course, but not like that. And I'll never go back. And, um, yeah. and the students talk about it. I had two students at, um, come uh, to me after that discussion yesterday about they had to research carbon taxes and cap and trade systems and look at the regional greenhouse gas initiative and the 
Northeast and the Western Climate Initiative and compare the clean power plan with the affordable clean energy rule and look at different states and then propose what they think we should do. And, and two kids came and they just said, man, this was really cool. Like, I just didn't, I haven't thought about taxes that way or policy yeah. that way. And, and I'm like, you know, think about what you're talking about though. You know, you're going to be voting on this for the rest of your life. I'm like, yeah, this is really interesting. And as a teacher you're sitting there going, you're finding interest in carbon policy right now is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you were mentioning before we got on air that you have had students who've gotten so engaged in your, what is your eco club or something that they're actually down at the legislature, you know, talking to them about what they feel is important and, and they're, they have some depth of knowledge that they can bring. Yeah, it, it is exciting too. Yeah, I've been sponsoring um, an, an environmentally themed club for years and, and it changes forms because I always tell students like clubs are really supposed to be student driven. Mm-hmm. So I'm just here to guide you. But really what you need to do is decide well, what direction do you want to take this? And we've, you know, gone in the direction towards food security issues, growing food and giving it to local um, food pantries to, you know, prairie plantings. But um, but this group's really been interested in policy and, um, yeah, I think for three years in a row, um, some of the students have just gotten together and gone down to the Capitol and, um, you know, tried to raise awareness about it. And, um, one of the students that graduated last year actually spoke at the Capitol. Uh, so you had to, to have a high school senior who, um, is, you know, given a microphone and speaking to the crowd is a really powerful thing to, to just watch. And, and it gives me a tremendous amount of hope that, um, that these kids are, are not just gonna kind of turn and think that they can't do anything. Yeah. Well, and that has to be gratifying too, because you've had a number of students through the years who have gone on to pursue this at the college and graduate level. And, and that must be fun for you to stay connected and see them, you know, lighting the world on fire with, with some of the things they're doing. Yeah. It, I think it also helps me put some of the current students in contact or at least let them know, Hey, here's somebody that was in your place a couple of years ago. And here's what they're doing as a job right now mm-hmm. that, you know, when I was their age, I didn't know that that existed. And, and I, and I also tell students that, you know, if, if you like this, but aren't quite sure what you want to do, just wait till the end of the course, because every unit, we, we look at it from a different topic. I had a student, um, I'll just give you a couple examples of what some students are doing, just because I just think it's so cool, um, the, the, the many different ways that they can approach it. Um, so I uh, had a brother and sister years ago um, that, I, that I knew very well, because they also sponsor a rock climbing club. And so they were both heavily involved in that. So they reach out when they're back in town. Um but uh, the sister is working up in Duluth, Minnesota. She's a, um, a civil engineer. And so she is looking at the materials that are used to help reduce erosion along the Great Lakes, hmm. but in a way that allows the native flora to coexist with um, the materials that are helping, you know, reduce the erosion. I just, I'm like, That's just so cool. And yeah. I, I have a student right now that is interested in restoration ecology. He's going to Colorado state next year. And so I mentioned that and he's like, Oh man, that's, you know, again, to show him like, here's what you can do. But her brother, um, it, uh, just got his PhD 
um, in um, materials engineering. And so he got hired, and I don't know if you've heard about um, this, but Wyoming is currently um, on track to replace some of their retiring coal-fired power plants with these small-scale nuclear reactors as a way to try and bridge the gap from fossil mm -hmm. fuels to a true renewable economy that doesn't have greenhouse gas emissions. And so he was hired by the company because of his materials engineer PhD, where he was bombarding materials with different um, substances and looking at uh, the, the results under an electron microscope. And so Bill Gates funds that project, the company's in Washington and he's their materials engineer. And it's like, oh my gosh. Um, but yeah. then I had a student uh, who graduated two years ago from the University of Iowa in their environmental policy program. So I, so I love pointing that out too, that you don't have mm -hmm. to go into the hard sciences. And so she reached back out to just let me know that you know, she probably in high school wouldn't have considered this if it hadn't been for the AP environmental science so she went and majored in their policy program and, and her, I think her job is she's working for a clothing company that is looking at the sustainability of their products. So her job, as far as I heard, is there to look at the, to, to basically certify the, the textiles that their clothing company is using for sustainability. And I mean, it's just all over the place, but, but being able to tell high schoolers, like, here's an actual job that somebody that went to Valley is in, and then in some cases being able to put them in contact with those people. Uh, it's just, it's a really, yeah, it, it gives me so much hope that they're, they're going out into, um, into a, a, a market where they can take the stuff and, and focus on sustainability. And I, I joke with them when they're in my class that I'm going to brainwash you. So you all go out and feel like you need to take care of the environment, but you know, I'm, I'm doing it jokingly, but it's nice when you hear the kids that actually have a job um, in yeah. those sectors. That really did go on. Yeah. yeah. And, and you must see too, that it just seems like the younger generation get it so much more than many adults and i don't know if that's just because it's their world that they're inheriting and they're taking it a little more seriously not everyone but a lot of students and that's got to be kind of nice to be in the heartbeat of where you get to kind of work with them and learn back and forth with them i'm sure yeah i think i, I kind of use my some experiences or conversations with my grandma to to kind of understand where they're at compared to, to that generation. And I think for, for my grandmother, you know, the planet was just so big that there's, she just had no concept that we could possibly modify it. And, you know, the, these kids are on social media with people around the world. Like, I, I feel like that has helped rec them recognize that we are all connected. It's, you know, you can go here and you can go and you can see this and do this. And I, I think that, contributes to their sense that oh no we can modify this place and so it's not so big that it, you know our, we we can't impact it um yeah. but also just i, I kind of think the optimism of youth helps a little bit too yeah definitely yeah so where do you find your hope when you're you know teaching with these kids and and i'm sure because it's it's the subjects are daunting and as you're trying to, you know, educate and have them engage, you know, yeah. it, it can be daunting. So how do you help them find the hope? 
I think one of the things that helps me is I try and end every lesson. Like if I'm going to introduce a concept, uh, unfortunately, I tell them, you know, we've got problems, but we don't solve problems until we, unless we know about them. And my job is to educate you about them. But at the end of the day, I, I want you to be aware that, okay, somebody is solving this over here and somebody's solving this over here. And so it's not something, in my opinion, that we need to figure out new solutions. It's more we need to implement stuff that's already come about. But because I've been teaching it long enough, there are certain problems that the first couple of years I taught the class, we didn't necessarily have solutions for. But now people are, are doing things about it. And so I can bring those into the class as well and point out that, okay, um, like a classic example is with the, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch that, I mean, it might have been six years ago, I showed the students uh, a video on Twitter of somebody that was their age that came up with this idea for, for basically dragging these floaties in, in, in this net and kind of cleaning it up. And then a couple years ago, they actually put it into the ocean to see if it would work. And now it's out there collecting trash. So, so I can also present it from that perspective that when I started teaching this, we didn't have a solution for that, but now we do. And mm -hmm. you can buy these sunglasses that are made from the frames are made from the plastic that's collected there that you can support it. And then, uh, uh, but that that's still awesome. doesn't help us, you know, prevent it from getting to the ocean. But then I saw, um, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's 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 just the goofiest thing. But it was this uh, this guy in Baltimore that I think had worked for the city and had um, worked in the Inner Harbor, and just retired and came up with these floating buoys in this conveyor belt that the water movement, you know, into the Chesapeake would trigger the conveyor belt to move anything floating down the river into the garbage bin that's at the base of it. And then cities around the world reached out to them and like, we want this in our city because it cleans up our Harbor. And then, you know, if you couple those two things and oh. you, you have stuff sweeping it out of the ocean and we're not contributing to the stuff that ends up there. So it's just, it's those little, yeah. And I know that there's other places to get there, other places and other ways that stuff's going to end up in those systems. But those things weren't happening when I started teaching the class. Mm -hmm. And so I think that helps um, the students recognize that, oh, no, there's a whole lot of people that are on this. Um, and if we just shift the way that we invest in our country, um, then we could have more of it. Or you don't even need the government to step in. If you guys are going to buy these products, then that money's going to contribute to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. So what are what are your final words of wisdom for our listeners, for all of us out there who who continue to get inspired by folks like you, Bran, who are in the heart of teaching the next generation? I, I think for me, part of part of the reason I'm hopeful is that when you do pay attention to this stuff over time, you do see that we are successful. Um, and, it, and I realize not everybody has the time to, to just pay attention to this all the time. I, I am in a unique situation where I have to teach this every day. So I am learning about it every day, but there are a whole bunch of reasons to, to be hopeful. I'll just give you one more and, it, it, you know, we can kind of leave it at that, 
like when I started teaching AP environmental science, it will not even then, like I, I think back in college, we have been talking about opening up the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge for drilling for mm-hmm. decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it would kind of ebb and flow and gas prices would go up. There was push to do that. And, you know, all along mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, if we, if we don't stop at a wildlife refuge, then why would we stop at a national monument like Bears Ears? Or why would we stop at a national park once we've done all that stuff? And a lot of people missed that we actually opened up the leases for the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge because it happened on January 6th last year. And there was another event on January 6th last year that made more news. But the reason I'm hopeful is that the major banks said, we are not going to fund, we are not going to loan companies money to lease that land because it's not good for our economic system. There is so much risk in continuing to invest in fossil fuels. And that's where I have hope is that I think we are seeing the private sector recognize how risky those investments are. Uh, And as frustrating as it is that we might not pass federal legislation, um, we're still seeing progress. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, thank you, Brent, for all that you do every day and for joining us today. Um, You continue, as I said, to inspire. To our listeners out there, check out yourgreenportal.com. You can hear the podcast and see the blog of the show. And we hope you continue to tune in to the conversations. But thanks again for being here, Brent. Absolutely. So good to see you again. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.